before we get started, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And I, I've got to tell you, before I introduce ourselves, i got to say, Chris and I just started the first two minutes of this podcast and realized we weren't recording. So we had to start all over again. We'll try to have the same fun and energy, but... It was educational. It was witty. <laughs> it was for posterity. And Andrew and I are the I, only again, people who will have lived through that moment. I feel bad. The rest of the world will never know how good the intro was. But let's try it again. We're, um, we're like millennials that if we didn't get it recorded on Instagram, on Instagram yeah. it never happened. We never enjoyed it. So let's try it again. With that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I am Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangely, and with me as always, my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. Today, we're going to start with a deal that could join three of our favorite investors, and then we're going to turn to Elon Musk's new project. So Chris, three of our favorite investors might be an understatement. These are three of the greatest investors of all time. You know, it's almost like in the movies, The Justice League, when you combine Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman, like just three of the greats of all time coming together. And we're talking about this because last week news broke out that Sprint is in discussions with both John Malone, our favorite cable cowboy, and Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway about making an investment. Sprint is, of course, controlled by Masayoshi Son, who is the founder of SoftBank. They just raised the $100 billion vision fund that we've talked. Between the three of them, Andy Elon Musk, these are probably the four people we've talked about the most on this podcast. They were all the Allen and Co, the infamous Allen and Co Sun Valley conference last week. That's where they were kind of talking about making the investment. And the interesting thing is, this could be the kickoff of the long rumored telecom palooza that we've talked about several times. The wave of mergers with all the telecom companies, all the cable companies, all the media companies, kind of coming together and forming these giant conglomerates. Sprint and T-Mobile have always been at the center of that. So, Chris, turn it over to you. What do you think of all the possibilities? Well, you know, when you have a deal like Sprint and T-Mobile, you have this kind of counter pressure where the strategic merits are so high and obvious that it actually creates this friction because everybody should see the same thing. Everybody should want to own all the value from the uh, synergies and should want to capture it themselves. So it kind of creates this counter pressure to move away. Things have kicked off more slowly than I would have thought since the end of the FCC spectrum auction and less real actual deals and more kind of uh, half partnerships and so forth. But now we have Sun Valley. Uh, we have three of the great minds of the investing world together, and they are certainly able to put something together that might be either an alternative or another one of these kind of half deals uh, that we've seen so much this year. I think that's great. So let's go back a little bit. So we've talked about this a ton. There was the FCC spectrum auction, and during the FCC spectrum auction, there was an anti-collusion period. Mm -hmm. And this lasted for about 18 months, I think. No telecom company could talk to any telecom company. They were forbidden by the FCC. That ended in March or April, mm -hmm. and Everybody said Sprint and T-Mobile, the third and fourth biggest carriers, they are a natural logical merger partner. I think a lot of people thought like literally the day the auction broke, there was going to be rumors and they've kind of danced around each other, but the deal hasn't happened yet. And I think the issue is they are far apart on valuation. Everyone acknowledges that Sprint needs T-Mobile more than T-Mobile needs Sprint. Sprint is very leveraged. T-Mobile is doing great on its own. Sprint is having operational issues. Last month, news broke that Sprint was kind of talking to Comcast and Charter. This month, news breaks that Sprint's talking to Warren Buffett and John Malone separately. Mm -hmm. And I want to toss this question over to you. Do you think this is a case of Sprint is just trying to show T-Mobile, hey, like you're not our only option. We have other people we can merge with and trying to kind of boost their value, boost their operational leverage? Or do you think this is actually a case of Sprint and T-Mobile are looking across the table at each other and saying, 
We're attractive partners, but we also have our own independently valuable assets. And it might not be worth it for the two of us to go through a a hell of a regulatory review because going from four to three, even with the Trump administration, is going to be a hell of a regulatory review. It's at least price discovery, and it's price discovery in a market that's had a couple things happen to it. One is, in some ways, the T-Mobile and Sprint roles have kind of switched. I was very involved when the uh, Metro PCS deal was uh, being negotiated, and I knew at the time that the owner-backer of T-Mobile was very loose on wanting to stay in the U.S. in mobile, and since then, T-Mobile has grown subscribers a lot. Now, the backers of Sprint is similarly kind of wavering in a less strong situation, so their relative roles have switched, number one, and number two, boy, the antitrust thought behind keeping four has been pretty vindicated. It's looked pretty good. If you look at all of the brutal price competition, and in many ways, T-Mobile has been a maverick, a pricing maverick. It's just what you'd want for customers. Yeah. So taking it a little further back, when Masayoshi Son first invested in Sprint, he clearly thought he was going to be able to merge with Mm T-Mobile. Deutsche Telekom owned T-Mobile. T-Mobile was not doing well then, back in 2013, Mm -hmm. 2014. They approached regulators and regulators said, no, like if you try, that deal is going to be turned down. T-Mobile hired their current CEO. They've done great. Sprint has struggled. And now it's almost the reverse, right? Instead of Sprint being the buyer and T-Mobile, you know, T-Mobile is controlled by Deutsche Telekom, T-Mobile being the willing seller. Now it's T-Mobile is the buyer and Sprint is kind of the willing seller. So the roles have really reversed there. And I think you're right. Regulators at the time said, no, you can't go from four to three. They've been vindicated. AT&T and Verizon tried to eliminate. They did eliminate for a while unlimited data plans. T-Mobile went unlimited data plans, stole a bunch of customers. Verizon and AT&T had to bring them back. They've caused Verizon and AT&T to make massive investments into their networks. It's been a bonanza for consumers. And I think you do have to wonder, why would a regulator let it go from four to three when it's been this great for consumers? You look at the history of mobile uh, consolidation. One deal that actually kind of was missed, if you look at the past at Metro PCS, they kind of had a, a flawed deal process. As soon as you miss that deal, you have to start putting back in CapEx. You have to start looking at your own independent mm-hmm. spectrum. It's not the kind of thing you can just put on hold. So the idea that instead of just holding your breath and hoping this one deal can get done, that you look at the alternatives. I also look at the people they're speaking with and just one quick comment on Malone and then Buffett. They've done very interesting structures recently and there are bits and pieces of their structures that could come into play here. I, I think specifically with the Pandora deal, instead of paying a big premium to get a full deal all in one place, you have a large amount of control of Sprint from SoftBank, they don't necessarily have to come in and buy Sprint to control Sprint. You could have a half deal that leads to optionality and chances down the line. And then with Buffett, you have his history looking specifically at 3G. He wants to be international. He wants to be big. He wants to put Berkshire Capital to work as a capitalist and have other outside operators. And something with Masasun in the mix and something with SoftBank's in the mix If they're kind of half still involved, Buffett being able to inject money with a super high power 
operator backing it could uh, make a lot of sense yeah, too. And look, that's something I, I kind of want to drive. And it's funny, our last like three or four podcasts have all talked about Buffett doing these these interesting deals where you know he puts some money to a capital starved group at a big discount and gets a nice premium. Yep. And this is something the Wall Street Journal had an article. I, I'm quoting the headline. Buffett could be costly option for Sprint and SoftBank. Look, Sprint has valuable assets. There's no doubt about it. They've got tons of spectrum. They've got a lot of customers. Having customer relationships is big. They've got, I don't know about brand, but they've got the spectrum and the customer relationships. And what they need is capital. They've got a lot of debt. They need capital to invest in their network and to keep going. Buffett can solve that. Buffett's got plenty of capital. But if you look at the history of Buffett deals, when he makes these preferred investments, we talked about it with Bank of America. We talked about it with HCG. It's going to be costly for Sprint. I would bet on Buffett and Malone are going to strike a great deal if they get it. And look, they might. It might be one of those things where there are these attractive assets and it makes sense. If you can sell 20% of the company to Buffett and kind of verify that brand, that might put you in a stronger position to negotiate with T-Mobile or one of the cable companies down the line. Chris, before we turn over to Tesla, I'll let you wrap it up. Any last thoughts on Telecom Palooza, Sprint, uh, Buffett? Uh, I, I would say that the antitrust authorities have well-served customers so far in keeping the four separate mobile providers and the antitrust enforcers might want to look at Buffett, Malone, and Sun sitting at a table at Al and company, Sun Valley, is having too high a market share of investment brands. You know, that's something I wanted to dive in. I don't know if we have enough time, but Allen & Co., it's this big, mysterious conference out in Silicon Valley. It's been famous. Tons of deals have been struck there. I believe Cap City's Disney or Cap City's ABC was struck there 10, 15 years, 20 years ago, and Buffett was part of that. It makes you think, like, Malone, Buffett, Mashish Sun, Jeff Bezos, all of these people are out there. Like, at some point, you have to be like, wait. All of the nation's wealth is at one conference. We just can't let these guys talk to each other like this anymore. It is an antitrust-free zone. <laughs> All right, let's turn it over to Tesla and Elon Musk. So Elon Musk, hot off the presses today, he tweeted out that he had received, and this is, quote, verbal government improvement for a high-speed tunnel-based travel system along the East Coast. It would connect New York, Philly, Baltimore, and Washington, D.C. using his Hyperloop plan. He said D.C. to New York City would be possible in 29 minutes versus three hours for the Amtrak Accela Express. And I kind of thought, hey, this is as good a time as any to do a little update on Tesla. You've got the Hyperloop plan. On July 7th, they produced their first Model 3. They're supposed to begin deliveries at the end of this month. Elon Musk has said very publicly, hey, we're going to start producing in July. By December, we're going to be making 20000 per month, which is a crazy, crazy number. Tesla named two independent board members last week. And over the weekend, Musk actually told people that he thought Tesla's stock was higher than it had any right to deserve. So, Chris, what what do you think about Tesla, New York City Hyperloop, all this different sort of stuff? I think Elon Musk is amazing in many different ways, including his ability marketing as kind of a cold reader on his audience. You know, if, if attention starts to lull or waver for a second, he has something just kind of brand new to kind of kind of hit the market with. What exactly this verbal government approval means? You know, New York City kind of didn't really quite know the transportation department, didn't quite really know the White House, which actually probably is the closest <laughs> to blurting out. Some some verbal improvement. <laughs> this whole conversation with neither side potentially knowing how a process like this would normally work, which would involve a lot of time, a lot of separate approvals, a lot of jurisdictions, is conceivable that this came from the White House. I have to add one little funny thing, uh, which is my home state of Connecticut, which is about the brokest state in the union, is 
all fired up about this. I've talked to a few uh, Connecticut politicians who are convinced that they're going to get them to extend this beyond uh, New York, up towards Boston. And New York to Boston is obvious. Anyone who's taken the Excel knows it's New York to Boston, New York to D.C. Or the And it has characteristics demographically unlike anywhere else in the country in terms of just this concentrated megalopolis that really could do things like this. But I know Connecticut is very fired up. They have specific numbers and have been meeting on this just this past week. So, look, the economics of this, I think, would be crazy. You know, a flight right now, just flying time, New York to D.C. is about 50, 55 minutes, I would say. So this, you don't have to drive to the airport. You don't have to check into security, all this sort of stuff. This would blow flying out the water. Like, I I think the economics of this would be crazy. Mm -hmm. But the thing here is, I kind of don't get, and look, I get he's doing the boring tunnel. I get he's a visionary. You know, like, New York City right now. Penn Station hasn't undergone an upgrade in, what, 30 years? Like, they're talking about Penn Station fires. They're having to shut down. Like, I just don't understand how he's going to be able to get the building permits and everything for this and be able to do this at any type of economical scale. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. It's, it's, but boy, if anybody had the ability just to push every bit of convention aside and get capital and get enthusiasm behind it, it is enthusiasm inspiring. Yeah. Here's the, here's the other thing I don't get, right? If you look at Elon Musk and he's obviously a visionary and all this sort of stuff, there's some people think he's more salesman than visionary, right? Look at, you know, if he was just doing this, if he was just going to make the hyperloop and take it from DC to New York, let's say, and, and do it in 30 minutes, that alone would be the greatest project anyone in the country is working on, right? Mm-hmm. But then he's also looking at ramping up Tesla car production at a rate that no one has heard of, right? Going from literally zero this month to 20,000 by December. Then he's also looking at building like the Australian government or something, the world's biggest solar rooftop. And then he's also looking at SpaceX, which is literally revolutionizing space travel. And then he's also talking about AI and all this sort of stuff. Like, you can completely understand why people look at it and say, hey, if you look at Elon Musk, like, yeah, he's made the Tesla and some sports car they look great but look at all these things like where's the where's the numbers he's delivering on like he's doing too much he's stretched too thin literally no one can do what he's talking about doing here it's very hard as a value investor it's very hard when you to look at historical comp it's very hard to try to kind of place him in a context he's so different when you look at tesla the idea of saying I'm trying to deliver 20,000 cars. If you only deliver 10, it's half as good. If you get halfway through one of these holes, it's really not half as good. You know, the, the, the systemic complexity and scale of an East Coast Hyperloop is magnificent. But I think he plans, or a lot of it is, get a huge amount of buy-in from the government. And this is going to be a massive subsidy hole. And he is brilliant at harvesting subsidies. I, I think I wanted to go back to one of those things. You said if he says 20,000, he gets 10,000. It's half as good. And that's one thing I think has been very interesting. Bulls have consistently said it's almost the Donald Trump thing, right? Like, don't take him literally by his words. Take, just take, take the idea seriously. from him. Take him seriously. And what Bulls have consistently said, and Tesla has time and again said, hey, we're going to deliver the Model 3 by 2015. It's 2017 and they're just getting right. Bulls have consistently said, don't hold him to the timelines. He's not going to hit 20,000 cars by December. Hold him to the idea. The Model 3 is going to be revolutionary. There's going to, we're going to be producing a lot of them a lot faster than any other car company would be capable. I think it's interesting. I think it's great. You know, I've been very clear on this podcast. I think Elon Musk is awesome, but I can also see where the bears are coming. Like, Hey, at some point you have to deliver. And if you keep like ramping up these big things and then you keep missing your timelines by two, three years or something, and you're stretching yourself with five of these visionary revolutionary different companies at some point it's all going to collapse in a house of cards mm-hmm. so it's all interesting things i talked a lot i'm going to give you the last thought 
it'll be interesting to see if and when we get very close to a self-driving system, what happens in the intervening little period? You know, I'm kind yeah. of holding my breath, not buying any more human-driven, gas-driven cars. And I think at some point that's going to become quite pervasive. Let's see. It's 2017, 2022. Am I taking a 30-minute Hyperloop from New York to D.C.? Yes or no? No, but the consequence of having to drive in a self-driving car it leaves your time to be much more valuable than looking at the road. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So that's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder. If you have any feedback for us, please feel free to email the feedback to us at podcast at rangedecapital.com. Exciting news. We haven't gotten the new sound equipment yet. That should come in the next few weeks. But we're going to have a sound editor edit this podcast and hopefully all podcasts going forward. So hopefully sound quality better. Hopefully I sound as deep and manly and masculine as I do in person. Uh, disclosure, Chris, I think we're long a little Berkshire and we're long a little bit of some of John Malone's different ventures, which I don't think we mentioned specifically, Correct. but we'll throw that out there. Great. Talk to you guys next week.